Hello, hello everybody. So we are back for another career and spirituality conversation. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Julie Pohn and I support spiritual beings having a career experience to enjoy their career experience. And uh, today I'm uh, glad to have uh, Alex Di Carvalho with me. Uh, hi, Alex, how are you? Hi, Julie. Doing well, thank you. Yeah, um, so like we're going to be talking about a um, lot of things, conscious leadership, and I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, before we start, as usual, we're going to do like a one, two minutes um, breathing grounding. So if you're all set, and for those of you who are not doing anything uh, that requires all of your attention, just close your eyes. <sighs> And we're just going to press our feet onto the ground first, just to acknowledge the presence of the ground, the earth, underneath us, the ultimate support that we have, and setting the intention to be grounded today. And then moving back our attention, our focus, our awareness into the chest and into the middle of the chest where our heart is beating. And maybe we can even feel our heart beating. Maybe we can hear it. And from there, let's just take some slow, deep breath for a minute, just breathing a little bit slower and deeper than we usually do, just for a calm minute. Let's finish with a nice big breath. And when we're all ready, opening our eyes again, bringing ourselves back and ta-da! <laughs> hello again. I always hello, hello. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the whole session is starting again. Um, so hello, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us. So I'm going to introduce you briefly, but uh, I'll be bombarding you with questions, so we'll know a lot more about your career along the way. Uh, but um, so please, everyone, welcome uh, Alex. Alex is a conscious leader, innovator, entrepreneur. Uh, he has helped to transform the startup community in Miami and is really at the forefront of conscious leadership, and we're going to talk about that a lot. Um, his expertise in management, consulting, startup growth, um, digital marketing as well, 
uh, allows him to bring a unique perspective to business and spirituality, really, and is also the honorary consul of Finland in South Florida. And in that context, he really aligns his, um, his um, uh, work with conscious leadership principles. And, and so he creates positive change with innovative projects, transformative events, and, and also coaching. So, so let's get ready to get some uh, valuable insights from my uh, esteemed guest today, Alex Di Carvalho. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. And right. Uh, we are exploring the intersection of spirituality and business and leadership. So I'm all excited for this. Thank so, you so much for, for inviting me. I look forward to it. Yeah. So Alex, I'm always starting the conversation with um, a question about spirituality and what's your relationship to spirituality, like your connection to spirituality. What is it for you? Yeah, that's, uh, I think, um, a complicated question because yeah. I think it's a unique path for people mm -hmm. uh, into spirituality and what does it mean and how is that different from uh, religion, for example. Yeah. So I was raised in, a, my father was Brazilian and he was Catholic and my mother is from Finland and she's Lutheran. And so I was raised kind of in both contexts. Uh-huh. Uh, and also in my childhood, uh, so yes, yeah, so I would I would have both uh, exposure to both Lutheran and Catholic mm -hmm. faith. Yeah. But then I went through a period where I rejected all of that, yeah. and I was an atheist for about twenty years of my life, which is very much scientific materialist, mm -hmm. not believing in any kind of powers or anything that I could prove rationally, you yeah. know, and see for myself. And um, about, I don't know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, I really started on a spiritual path of, of discovery. And this really meant a lot of uh, inner work uh -huh. on myself yeah. to understand my patterns. Why do I behave in certain ways? Why do I react in certain ways? Uh, and this was a, uh, quite a journey of discovery. Uh -huh to where I am no longer an atheist. Uh, and so I do believe that there's more than science can explain. Mm -hmm. And it makes my life a lot richer and more magical to yeah. see that there's there's a lot more than just this physical and material world. Yeah. And has it reconciled you with the religious side or, or do you keep that, you know, separate? It has, yes, actually. So it has reconciled me with the... Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, I would say that I am not into organized religions, so none of the organized religions speak to me. Yeah. Uh, however, I think that there's a truth in all religions, yeah. um, and that's what I connect with. Okay. Yeah. Like a deeper like truth. Looking, yeah, at the 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 principles, the yeah, the the the, the truth underneath that's come yes, to absolutely. All of, that, all of it. Yeah. Yes. So. I'm not in accordance with the how each religion is organized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, although I think that there's a lot of positive aspects to meeting in community with other people of the same faith. Yeah. But just the system of organization of the religions, uh, it doesn't really speak to me. Mm -hmm. uh, however, there seems to be kind of like of like foundational principles that match across religions, and that's what I connect with. Okay. Okay. 
And so if we are moving on to the career part, can you tell us a little bit about how, like, how your, what's, what's your career trajectory and maybe how has spirituality maybe influenced it? You said for 20 years, you were an atheist. So did your, your career, was your career different at that time from when you started to open to religion? And can you tell us a little bit about, about your parkour with that filter? Yeah, so my father was a uh, diplomat. He was a career diplomat for Brazil. Yeah. And I lived in different parts of the, the world. Every two or three years, we would move countries. Mm. And, um, and you know, I, I then went and I did an MBA at INSEAD, which is a top uh, business school. Okay. And I had a very corporate career after that. So I didn't go into diplomacy myself, mm -hmm. but I did go into a very corporate kind of a career, having okay. studied business. And I worked at a uh, management consultancy, mm -hmm. uh, doing strategy work. And then I co-founded uh, an internet uh, startup. Mm -hmm. And from then on, I was working in technology and, and internet, different, different types of web startups. Yeah. Uh, but I also had a very big corporate career, a corporate uh, position at uh, IBM, okay. where I was the head of social media worldwide. Um, at IBM and also Constant Contact, which is a uh, you know a good sized corporation in the U.S. I was the regional director for that, so I had mostly startup experiences, but also some bigger uh, corporate experiences uh, as well. Uh, I also ran uh, a startup uh, myself, so so that was what my career has been uh, mm -hmm. like. Uh, and so I don't think the religion or spirituality had anything to do with that. Mm -hmm. It was a very much conventional corporate type of uh, career progression uh, for me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think with spirituality, it started to open my mind to, uh, to different, uh, different perspectives and new perspectives and uh, a higher consciousness. Yeah. And kind of becoming aware of how, how the world works. And also the effect of corporations on the world. Corporations have a lot of power, a lot of resources, yeah. and how they're affecting the earth and nature, uh, and how all these competitive dynamics work, uh, etc. And so I started opening my eyes to that. And uh, you know, I think after COVID, I've I became more independent, kind of outside of the corporate trajectory, mm -hmm. um, okay. doing more independent consulting work. Um, and now getting more into conscious leadership. So really finding a way to create conscious leadership at the top, top of organizations in order to create more conscious types of businesses that make better decisions for the planet. Okay, okay. So impacting at the top so that there is a ripple effect all throughout the organization for the people working in the organization, but also outside the impact that it has on, on the world. Yes, absolutely. Okay, got you. So I'm actually curious what, what, what started like you know from because I can relate very much. Sorry for the aparte to the like a, a bit of religion, then total rejection, atheist, and then something suddenly opens back again the door. So what was it for you? Like how how did that reconnection with the spiritual aspect happen? Was was there one thing like you know something? Yeah, so 
Uh, when I was uh, younger, uh, when I was, uh, I don't know, like 14 years old, yeah. uh, my father had a lot of books. Uh, he was very well read. You know, yeah. He was very intellectual. And one of the books he had was by Alan Watts. Alan Watts was a spiritual leader in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he spoke a lot about Buddhism and Zen. And I was 14 years old. I read that book. And it, it kind of marked me. Like it, it touched me somehow. But, you know, I put that aside. And then I became atheist, etc. Mm-hmm. But that had opened the door for me already. So that later in life... Uh, that door had already been cracked open and I came back to that. And so when I was having a very intense corporate uh, role, I, uh, I felt like I had to balance that out somehow. And uh, I decided to start meditating Mm -hmm. daily. And I started very simply. I started with just five minutes every day. I would get up. I live close to the beach. I would go see the sunrise and would meditate with the sunrise only five minutes, that was challenging uh, in the beginning, but I kept doing it every single day. And of course, five minutes became 10, became 20 minutes, became even longer meditations. Um, I don't think it's the length of time. I think it's the fact of doing it every single day. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the real magic in it. And that really started to open up new possibilities. I think that they say meditation is the greatest gift you can give to somebody else because as you meditate, you start to understand how your thoughts work yeah. and you start to be able to put your thoughts aside. And so you become less reactive to people because you can see where the thoughts are coming from. Yeah. And I had one experience. Uh, so my father, uh, as I said, was Brazilian. He's from Rio. So I would spend Christmases uh, in Rio yeah. And uh, about 10 years ago, I decided to walk up to the Christ. Yeah. So there's the Christ, the Redeemer, Corcovado. Yeah. And even though uh, I was not religious, I figured uh, there's something important here. And I, instead of taking like the bus or the train up to the Christ, I start. I decided to walk. Yeah. And you know, Christmas is uh, summertime and um, in Brazil, in Rio, it's very hot, yeah. and it's a 700-meter altitude. It's a very steep climb. Yeah. And uh, before climbing it, I had an intention. My question to the Christ was, why do the same patterns repeat themselves in my life? Whether it's in my professional life or my personal life, why do the same things keep happening? And I walked up to the Christ with that question. And of course, I didn't get the answer immediately. Uh, but over the next year, I started to get the answer through meditations and other practices. I started to get some breakthroughs. Yeah. And so, so at the end of that year, I went back to the Christ. And this time in gratitude, I walked back up, this time in gratitude, because I felt I really had gotten the answers. It took a year to get the answers but I started to get really significant answers that changed me, that transformed me. Wow. Yeah, it's quite just the sheer um, size of this place, because I've I've been there as well. It's just, it feels uh, special. There's some, uh, like some energy. I don't know if it's the energy of all the people who are so, who believe or, 
or if there is some energy from the 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 earth itself there but um yeah i remember having a, a strong experience at the time even though i wasn't into spirituality too much at the time either yeah so i it's it's i mean it's a very special place so rio has the largest rainforest inside the city yeah. that's in rio and the Corcovado is in the middle of that rainforest. Yeah. And the, the, the view is spectacular from that mountain. And the Christ itself is so large. And it's at the top of this mountain. So it's an incredible energy when you're up there and you're looking at the city. Yeah. Uh, it feels really special. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're bringing me back. <laughs> uh, good few years. But uh, yeah, so you got... Like so, meditation was your entry door to um, to having some answers, and you said like you you had some breakthrough about the patterns repeating themselves. So, did you experience some change? Did you break through the patterns afterwards, or how? What change did you experience as a result of having those those? Yes. So, insights? you know, to so meditation was one strong. Uh, avenue for me yeah. um, but also I did uh, yoga so kundalini yoga so okay. I had uh, 90 consecutive days of yoga from 4 to 6 30 in the morning uh, it's called the aquarian sadhana so we do it in a group yeah. and we get together it's a very beautiful practice and it happens before sunrise two hours before sunrise uh, when the energy of the city is very special because everybody in the city is sleeping at that time so it's kind of a dream time energy yeah. and you get together and you kind of do this yoga practice and meditation and chanting yeah. at that time and was it in in rio at the time no that was in miami oh that was in miami time. okay yeah yeah so that was part of my uh, practice uh -huh. and then also i got uh into something called internal family systems uh -huh. which is a which is a type of uh, psychotherapy and you can do it on yourself so it's a self-therapy Okay. And this really helps you kind of reconnect with your inner child. So your inner child is a younger version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so by reconnecting with younger versions of yourself, you can see what was happening at that time in your life uh, with your parents. Uh, and uh, you can experience some of those things um, and, uh, and relive and understand what was happening. And you reconnect with the inner child. Mm -hmm. And you, you can also see kind of the protective behaviors that the child develops in order to deal with, with uh, adults. And these protective behaviors then continue throughout a lifetime. You know, the things you learn in your childhood to protect yourself become your patterns throughout lifetime. So whenever later in life, similar things happen, those protective behaviors come out again. And so that explained to me why certain patterns would repeat themselves is because of these protective behaviors that had happened in childhood. So internal family systems helped me to reconnect with that and to see that very clearly. And also later, I got into Jungian depth analysis. So Carl Jung was a yeah. psychologist and he wrote something called the Red Book. So in the book club, I read the Red Book. It took six months to read it together. Oh, wow. There were many other, there were Jungian uh, psychoanalysts in that book club so it was very interesting because part of Jung's uh, deep work was dream analysis yeah. so he would uh, write down his dreams he would draw the dreams and he would interpret them 
And he has a method for interpreting dreams and also for meditating with your dreams. So later you can meditate and call back your dream and call back the, the you know, figures from your dream and meditate with that and to understand the messages better from the dream. And so that was also a very important part because Jung's world is very metaphorical. It's very archetypal. Yeah. And so, for example, if a lion appears in your dream, you can then meditate and talk to the lion and understand yeah. what is the lion's message. So it's very archetypal, but this creates kind of a magic in the world because you start to understand the meaning of animals and why would you happen to see certain animals on certain days, especially if you don't see those animals usually, what yeah. does it mean? And you start to get more meaning from life by paying attention to what is happening. Yeah, it it's, feels like an expanded expanded reality. Suddenly everything has a, a deeper meaning rather than what we see at first. Yes, so, so, you know, there is the physical reality which you see, but then you start to get meaning from what you see. So if you see like an unusual animal that you don't usually see, maybe a butterfly, you know, you can go months without seeing a butterfly. And then on one day you see a butterfly, but it matches something that's happening with you you know, some kind of transformation and the butterfly appears and it's kind of like a wink from the universe saying, oh, you see, this is what's happening with you and here's a sign. Yeah. And so it creates kind of a more magical reality when you start to see uh, these things. Um, so, you know, of course, I'm not going to say that science can prove any of this, but it does create a more interesting life when you start to notice uh, these things. And so through all this work, I started to get some breakthroughs, mm -hmm. uh, especially around my patterns. And it just started to change my own behavior mm -hmm. because I could see where my patterns were coming from. Yeah. And I could then choose with this awareness to change those behaviors. I like what you're saying about the, the animals and how we can see. And you said like maybe science is not, has not, is not proving it yet. But like, is it, is it that that uh, there is a, an animal or like we see something that is actually there or like it would have been it would have been there anyway but had we had you not have the 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 knowledge you would never have seen it or your subconscious wouldn't have allowed you to see it so is yeah. it uh, like is it that because we know more we are paying attention to more and it's a way for our subconscious to tell us something? Or is it that the universe is sending an animal to tell us something? You, you see where I'm? Yeah, so, Thanks. you know, the way I would frame it is that um, the way I was brought up, for example, yeah. uh, was, uh, I was very, let's say, conditioned and programmed in certain ways through education and through my culture to believe certain things and to have a very scientific and rational type of mm -hmm. uh, way of seeing the world and understanding the world, uh, especially through my schooling yeah. and through my parents. And it would, it, this is something that um, prioritized the left brain, the very rational left brain type of thinking. Mm -hmm. You could also say it's more like a masculine type of energy. The energy of very being very rational and the energy of doing, taking action in the world. Mm -hmm. 
And I would say that through these practices, I started to open up the right side of the brain. Now, the right side of the brain is more intuitive. It's more creative. It's more the feminine energy. It's more the energy of being rather than doing. And so by opening up the, the right side of the brain, I believe that you then start to see other types of things in the world. Yeah. So whereas the left side of the brain sees a butterfly, and that's all it is, uh, you know, a flying insect, the right side of the brain sees a beautiful creature that signifies transformation. You know, it went from a caterpillar to becoming a butterfly. This means transformation. And if you are seeing this, if it's coming to, into your field of consciousness, it also mirrors something that's happening uh, in yourself. And so, you know, this is, uh, you know, uh, our dreams are so hard to interpret because our dreams can be so fantastical. Yeah. But it's a lot of the right brain imagery coming to us through our dreams, right? Now, we cannot explain our dreams scientifically, yet our dreams can have such a big impact. Everyone has some memorable dreams that they've had in their life, right? Sure. And so it's bringing the right brain online, like honoring the right side of the brain as well as the left side, bringing that online into consciousness and seeing the world in this magical way. So you're using both sides of the brain. You're using that masculine energy of doing and being very rational. Yeah. And you're using that feminine energy of being of being intuitive, being creative, uh, using your imagination. And so life takes on this more rich meaning when you're operating like that. That's what I would say is happening. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. And that makes a human, so that explains as well, because uh, we're going to talk about leadership, but how uh, someone who, someone can be and uh, very techy and and um, and efficient in the corporate environment, but also uh, into meditation and um, and creativity intuition. So bridging that into like leadership, can you tell us about your journey as a as as a leader? How that has possibly changed you and and. Yeah, let, let's start exploring about, you know, what's, what's, what's conscious leadership versus just leadership. Yeah, and I would say that this is a uh, work in progress. Okay. Um, I think that, um, you know, after COVID, the world is going through some very significant transformations and changes. Uh -huh. I think a lot of people um, started working remotely and started to understand their relationship with work. Yeah. And um, it started to reprioritize new things in their life, mm -hmm. especially relationships and also uh, understanding what it means to live. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that there's a transformation that's happening in the world and we're part of it right now. So we're still trying to understand, you know, I think 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we'll look back and we'll see how significant this period was. But right now we are in that transformation. Yeah. But I think part of this transformation is the conscious leadership. Uh, one of the things that I'm experiencing here in Miami is the hottest summer ever recorded. Wow. I think it's about 45 days now of, uh, of uh, temperatures over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. I think this is like 35 or 40 degrees Celsius or something. Yeah. So it's been very hot, but for 45 days 
uh, in a row. Also, the ocean temperature here, for the first time, hit over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, also like 35, 37 degrees Celsius, the temperature of the ocean. So it's very hot. So you go inside and it's like a bathtub, you know, it's like a baignoire, you know? Oh it's, my God. Yeah, but it's, it's also not good because the coral, yeah. the coral reefs are dying because it's too hot for the coral. Yeah. So they're dying. Yeah. And so I think, you know, we're experiencing these changes and I think this accelerates, um, you know, the need for more conscious types of ways of living yeah. that don't destroy the planet. Mm. I think also there's uh, artificial intelligence that's coming. And this is also a huge change. I think as big as change as the industrial revolution is this AI revolution, which is completely going to transform everything about the way we go about uh, work and life. And so I believe that we really need to become more conscious about what's happening, how we're impacting the planet, and how we want to go forwards. Yeah. And like, you know, about the word, even just the word conscious, because when we're talking like this, we need to be more conscious of, you know, even just like the word, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We need to be paying more attention to what's happening, like, uh, like in the world. And, but when we're using the words, you know, like, uh, because it's a nearly, is it a buzzword a little bit now when we say like, you know, conscious business, conscious leadership, conscious, you know, conscious, parenting, whatever, what's, what do we mean exactly in that context? Yeah, it's true. Um, I think uh, there's a danger of something like this becoming a buzzword and then people just being very superficial with it when it means something more profound. Yeah. Um, so language has limitations. Yeah. And if everybody then starts adopting it and not doing anything, then it starts to become meaningless. So yeah, of course. But you know, there are other ways to say it. Uh, another way to say it is emotional intelligence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this has existed for 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Daniel Goldman, uh, psychologist, wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. And this has been brought to leadership. And yeah. so that's part of conscious leadership is working on your emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and how that pertains to the corporate. So that's another way of saying it uh, as well. I would say that uh, conscious leadership goes further than emotional intelligence uh -huh. because I, I would say it requires doing inner work. So deep inner work, to understand patterns um, and, and to then break those patterns. So why do you do the things you do? Yeah. Uh, what are your drivers? What are your motivators? Um, why do you need to buy a bigger house or two yeah. more cars or like what is what is driving that type of behavior yeah. and is it needed and you know how does that affect your decisions in the corporation mm -hmm. um, and then are you making ethical decisions or not in order to get paid and buy your second house yeah. so how ethical are you being uh, if that is your priority um, so you know, these are different, difficult questions to answer, but we have to think about these things because we see the impact on the planet. Yeah. So we have to think about how we organize ourselves in society in order to have a better impact on the planet. Yeah. But so when we want, let's say, we want to bring conscious leadership into these corporations, and we, like, as you just said, you know, like conscious under the conscious umbrella, there is more than maybe just 
you know, caring or being in the heart or emotional intelligence and that really like a, a personal work on ourselves. So not everyone is necessarily at that stage. So how do we, or how do you bring that, bring that in, into an organization when, when its essence can be something so personal that not everyone by definition would be open to it? Yeah, so, you know, conscious leadership can exist at any level of the organization, but I believe it has greater impact when it comes from the top. Yeah. And when you see the top leaders um, behaving in certain ways and making certain types of decisions and putting in the systems and structures into the corporate corporation, yeah. the organization that prioritizes certain values, then it trickles down into the rest of the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, you can have conscious leadership at different levels yeah. but i think it's most effective when it comes from the top down mm. and like and what's and how do you do like yourself in your work how um how do you do it in the sense or is it you by being you and supporting people in making certain types of decision or do you also have a level of i'm going to say spiritual teaching out of a better word, that you're supporting people in leadership positions with? Yeah, I think, you know, the spirituality is uh, outside of that. And so yeah. I don't think any spiritual teaching is necessary. Yeah. I mean, one's own spirituality is a very personal uh, decision. Um, you know, whether you have a religion, a certain faith that you follow, or your own spirituality, that's very personal. Yeah. and. Um, you know, I think the best spirituality is the one you find for yourself. It's not what someone else tells you. It's the one you find for yourself. It's yeah. the way you connect to the greater magic uh, in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that that doesn't have anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, really, it's about, um, it's about the inner work of understanding what are your values, uh, and how do they impact the world? Okay. And so the way to do it is to take people through some transformational experiences, take uh, taking corporate executives through transformational experiences for them to see something else, mm -hmm. uh, develop greater awareness, um, open their consciousness to other possibilities, and then they make their own decisions as to how to go um, mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, I think that's the only way. Yeah, so experiential and and like you're nudging. Yes, you yeah. you you kind of show. Look here, here's here are these possibilities. You know? <laughs> but the person yeah. has to walk that path themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. and and. In in your experience uh, working with um, you know with leaders, uh, are there been some examples that were particularly inspiring and that that you could be sharing with us about like change and like you know things that are going the right in the right direction? So these are early days still. Yeah. So I think right now it's raising the awareness. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> awareness for the need for this. Yeah. Um, I have helped organize some transformational experiences. Um, 
which uh, which which are very beautiful, uh, which are great uh, musical experiences. Um, uh, and so I think with with high net worth leaders, um, and so you know some transformation is possible. Yeah. Um, but I would say that it's still early days and now uh, something that uh, I'm still building towards. Mm. And let's say for like, you know, some people who might be like, you know, watching us and they're, you know, maybe either yeah, in a corporate environment and they have that strong, you know, connection to, yeah, consciousness, spirituality, but, but they um, might not feel like they get a way in to express it in a way where they're working. Do you have any advice about uh, uh, for for the people who are watching us, like you know, in their um, day to day work, how to possibly initiate some change or, or maybe even just feel better, like uh, more aligned with with their values and the place that, that they're working in. Yeah, so I think that you know one thing is for leaders to do the work themselves okay. uh, towards uh, towards consciousness mm -hmm. um, and towards self awareness, and so there is personal work to be done, but there's also team work to be done. Okay. Um, so you know there you already start to make a difference when you show up in a new way. You mm -hmm. start to make a difference because your light starts to shine uh, and has a ripple effect with others. Uh, however, I think it's also important to do the work in teams. So, you know, the executive team to do the work together, to have transformational experiences together as a team that they can draw back on and they can talk about. And these are kind of like stepping stones. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it goes together, the personal work that someone might do, uh, you know, whether they start a meditation practice or it can even be through exercise, you know, it can be in different ways. Uh, but then also a part of the is, is to work together in collaboration and in community and in teams to do that work together. So these go hand in hand. Okay. Yeah. So always like the, we are back to the, the inwards and outwards, like doing the work inside and then doing it um, watching the impact that it has and also taking initiative like in in the world to yes because then as you change inwards then you start to put in place systems mm -hmm. that prioritize those values and yeah. so it might be uh, hr systems it might be recruiting practices it might be compensation yeah. uh systems the way bonuses are headed out what is incentivized what is you know what is the bonus structure and for what are people getting bonuses? So the whole compensation, uh, reporting structures, uh, you know, what are the values of the company that get put into place into these systems throughout the company? So yeah, so there's outward action in the world that happens afterwards. Yes, but the inner first. Yeah, the inner first. Yeah. It affects all areas of the company. It affects marketing, the way marketing is done, the way products are developed, um, relationships with vendors, um, you know, relationships with customers. So it's through all levels of the organization. Yeah. yeah. And you know, as someone who's like who's very connected, you know, like spiritually connected, I would say, uh, out of a better word, how uh, what's your experience of uh, um, 
of uh, getting out of the spiritual closet, so to speak. Like, is that is it something that you can talk about, like freely in the business corporate world, or or is it still that you're? How's it at the moment? Is it, can you be can you be very open about all of the things that we're discussing today, or not so much? Yeah, it's true. I think it depends uh, very much on the context and on the business context. I think there's more and more openness to it. Yeah, I think yeah. partly that has to do with the internet, because mm -hmm. there is a lot of um, uh, like language and um, people showing up talking about spirituality online, whether through YouTube or Instagram. There's a lot of accounts, yeah. and so you can find uh, this stuff uh, online, and uh, but you know also religious stuff, and so the internet just creates a distribution of knowledge, which is incredible, and so more and more people have access to this. Access that I didn't have when I was younger, people now have at younger at a younger age, right? So somehow it is more possible to talk about it today than yeah. it was 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, but it also depends very much on the context and on the type of business. Yeah. Uh, there are certain types of businesses which are very engineering focused or finance focused, which might be more difficult to talk about it, and other businesses uh, where it might be easier. Uh, to talk about it. Um, but, you know, I think this is, uh, this is a very personal question uh, for people, is how authentically can they show up in life? Um, you know, or do they have to hide aspects of themselves? Or do they have to wear a mask in certain situations? So, you know, when you go to work, you put your suit on and you put on a mask for the next eight hours, and then you come home to your partner and you can take your suit off and you, you don't have to wear the mask. Maybe you wear another mask for your partner. Yeah. And so how authentically are you able to show up uh, in life? And so I don't think there's a need to evangelize spirituality. It's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. But it shows up in how you are being, how you behave yeah. with people, your compassion, your empathy, um, your values. That's what shows up. Uh, so it doesn't matter what you believe, what faith you're from, what religion uh, what spirituality you have, but just it does show up in the way you you appear in life and your authenticity. And I would say the more whole you become, the more authentically you can show up in all situations mm -hmm. so that it's not even a question and it's not even uh, weird. But also, I would say that uh, you lose the need to evangelize about it. Like you need to lose, you lose the need to say, you know what I discovered? I discovered these, you know, crystals, yeah, whatever. No, yeah. like there's none of that anymore. You yeah. don't, you just don't have to talk about it anymore. Yeah. You're just showing up in a certain way yeah. and that's enough. Yeah. Like it's it, internalized. There it's no internalized, yeah. but then it shows up in the world by the way you are being yeah. and the way you treat people and, you know, the things you talk about. I think... What's uh, I think what happens with uh, awareness, self-awareness, emotional intelligence yeah. is you start to pay attention to the language you use and the way you talk and the things you talk about. And I think you move away from a victim mindset mm -hmm. because you understand, you know, you move away from the consciousness that things are happening to me, which is which is where I was before I walked up to the to the Christ. Yeah. My question was, 
why are the same things happening to me? Like, why do the same patterns happen to me? And my breakthrough was, oh, it's not happening to me. It's happening for me. So all of these things that are happening are happening for me. They're lessons for me to learn from. Or even they're happening through me. I'm actually making these things happen. So how can I be the victim when I'm the one that's creating this, right? And so as you start to understand these things about, about the way things work, right? As you come to these truths, your language changes as well. And so you're no longer in a victim language. You know, you're no longer like, oh, I have to do the dishes. Mm -hmm. Your language is, I get to do the dishes, you know? So it's a, it's a different type of language that you use, but it becomes natural. Um, and so there's no need to evangelize anything. Yeah. You're just showing up in a different way, in a more emotionally intelligent way, I would say, that's more positive and has a great ripple effect uh, for the people around you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, total sense. So it's great because then there is, a, you know, you said earlier, yeah, conscious leadership, you know, it's better when you start at the top, but then it means that it's not... It's not just the responsibility of the organization and it starts with everyone at any level, like through the personal work that any human can, can be doing on themselves and that we have more and more access to because it's a lot more accessible, like you said, than even just a decade ago. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You, you know, at any level, you can start to have conversations with people. So rather than creating a story about what is happening, you can talk openly with people and say, hey, look, yesterday I noticed that you did this. Um, I don't really understand. Uh, it affected me uh, you know, negatively. I had to do extra work because of that. And so can you explain what happened? Then you have these direct open conversations with people rather than creating resentments and creating stories that may not be true. Yeah. And so that is part of the journey as well. And that can happen at any level of the organization. Yeah. Um, and Alex, earlier on, you mentioned as well, like uh, AI, you know, I'm jumping a little bit. Je saute du coquelin a little bit. But can, can you talk to us a, a little bit about that? What do you think about, about it? What is it going to change? Do, do we... Is it scary? Is it not? Uh, and 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 is it um, um, is it in itself a replica of like consciousness-wise? How far can it go? And does it is it a little bit of a reflection of us uh, learning about our own? like being conscious of ourselves, like, you know, is AI going down that path of something that possibly is also going to get conscious of itself? Yeah, so it's it's so fascinating, uh, right? Um, you know, uh, it's so difficult because you might have a pet like a dog and you recognize that the dog has consciousness mm -hmm. <clears throat> and yet you cannot use words or, you know, there's some words you can use with a pet, but the consciousness seems to be somehow limited, yeah. you know? Like you look into the your, your dog's eyes and you wish like you could communicate more clearly and you feel that the consciousness is somehow limited. <clears throat> and so AI is so confusing because you can actually use words and they will, 
the AI will bring words back to you and it has a personality and, you know, you can have changed personalities and you can, you know, and so it becomes very confusing that, wow, how could this be so intelligent and it looks like it has some kind of personality and, you know, you can attribute these things to it. It doesn't have a personality, but you can easily attribute it to these systems. Mm -hmm. And where I think that it becomes more complicated <clears throat> is when you marry these systems of robots. So you have robots that have AI, right? And so then if you have a robot that looks like a human being that has AI, it becomes very confusing, you know, because you can imagine that the, the, the aspect of the robot becomes more human-like, the movement of the robot becomes more fluid, and then it also <clears throat> speaks so intelligently and then it becomes very tricky to understand, wow, does this robot have consciousness or not? What is happening? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people will fall into a trap of believing it has consciousness. And maybe it does have some kind of uh, consciousness. It's just not a human consciousness. It's not a biological consciousness, but there may be something else that is happening, a consciousness that we don't understand. So, you know, I think that is a fascinating question to look at but then you know the thing is if it has consciousness does it have agency like then does it start to want to make its own decisions because it has certain fears you know that it will die for example is it scared of death yeah. and so will it then start to make decisions for itself and that's really what the consciousness means is that it becomes self-aware yeah. and then it takes agency for itself so I think that's something to look at, uh, especially with uh, robots, you know, because robots can take such action. Um, I think we have to be careful with artificial intelligence, because even if it's not a robot, even if it's a soft software program, how much agency do we give it so that it can create, yeah. you know, ripple effects out, out there? So I think, you know, that's something to pay attention to. I think in the current version yeah. of, let's say, ChatGPT, there is no danger. It's not like that. It's not conscious. Uh, there's no danger. But I think as we go, you know, two, three years, five years down the road, we have to pay more attention to it. But I think the, the, the biggest impact will be on energy consumption. Because oh. what happens is that these systems make everything more efficient. So, for example, work that you know you might might take you two hours to do, with the help of ChatGPT, might take you twenty minutes. Mm -hmm. So now, all of a sudden, you have an extra hour and forty minutes to do something else. Yeah. So, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Are you going to do more work, or are you going to um, go and drive your car somewhere? Mm -hmm. Are you going to use more energy as a result? You know. Like before you would have been two hours at your desk, mm -hmm. but now you're just 20 minutes at your desk and an hour and 40 minutes driving your car. So you're using more energy. So because these systems make everything more efficient across all industries, there's greater energy consumption. You know, so the efficiency creates more productivity, which requires more energy. And so this is why I think we have to become more conscious about our impact on the planet because we're going to be consuming more energy as we become more productive. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's the real danger of AI. Yeah. It's not the danger of, is it conscious? Is it going to have its own agency? It's really about the energy consumption that it's going to require. Yeah, that's interesting. I had never seen that. I had never seen that before, that aspect. Yeah. yeah. And like, is the running of AI also consuming? Yeah. You know, is it so I think the running of AI itself consumes yeah. some energy, just like the running of uh Crypto, you yeah. know, blockchain and stuff yeah. requires energy, but that's not really the energy I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about the fact that it makes everything more efficient. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we're more productive and this requires more energy to be more productive. Mm. You know? um, because at, at first sight, I said, okay, so, so if, if we're more efficient, we could you know, my first reaction was like, okay, so if you're more efficient, then we are consuming, we are, we are consuming less. We are less no, so, energy but so, so efficiency. Yeah, no, so efficiency, it means like, let's say a factory can make yeah. five cars per hour. Yeah. But now thanks to AI, yeah. the factory can make eight cars per hour. So to make eight cars per hour requires more energy and more materials. The factory became more efficient thanks to AI. Yes, yes, I get it. So it yeah. required more energy, required more materials. Yeah. So that's the real impact. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, so like a new area of reflection on the other side of the progress that AI is uh, giving us. Yeah, so I think, you know, those are things to become aware of. And I think this is why we need conscious leadership is mm -hmm. to start to understand our impact on the planet mm -hmm. and to make better decisions. Yeah. And that, that has to come from the top down throughout the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if, like, if you're like, a, to take that, that example of the car, so if we are being, okay, AI gets us more time, more efficiency, so we could produce more. But then we have conscious leadership and we're choosing not to produce more. So then what's the implication? What's, so then is it, is it time regained for everyone to just live life? What could that mean? I think these are hard questions. I don't have the answer to these things. I think these are things that we have to uh, think about for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Together, I'm picking your brain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot on the spot and picking your brain. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. this is this is where we are in society right now. This is the historical time that we're living through, just yeah. like the industrial age, you know, over a hundred years ago. Yeah. Now we're going through this type of revolution. And we really have to think about what kind of a future do we want for, for the planet. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So like yeah. the technological advancement is going to require even more consciousness like on the so yeah, even so, more so more of the left brain is going to require even more of the right one or vice versa well something like that yeah so it uh you know it might impact our economic systems um, and to try out different types of uh, economic systems uh, who knows so for example uh, i'm from finland as well so my father was from brazil and my mother's from finland and I'm the honorary consul of Finland in South Florida. And Finland is going to be the first country to uh, be carbon neutral. So they have it in law that in about 10 years from now, yeah. 
Finland has to be carbon neutral. And really, what does this mean? It means that cities have to be carbon neutral, buildings have to be carbon neutral, and companies have to be carbon neutral. So the, the, the building you live in, the building you work in, these are carbon neutral. The cities themselves, the transportation systems are carbon neutral. And the companies themselves have to put policies and systems in place to be carbon neutral. And Finland is already a circular economy, and so that is part of it. So we're talking about new types of economic systems, yeah. circular economy with carbon neutrality. Mm -hmm. And I would say this is, so I'm very proud to be Finnish because Finland is at the forefront of this. 75% uh, of Finland's landmass is forest, and these are sustainable forests. So, so Finland is about the fifth or sixth largest uh, land area in Europe, oh and 75% of it is forest, and it's sustainable forest. Oh. And so Finland has developed a circular type of uh, economy and is going towards carbon neutrality. And so really we're talking about um, a deep change to the economic system. Yeah. Now. Is this possible in, in everywhere in the world or in other parts of the world or in larger nations? I don't know, but I think it's important to look at these systems and to consider what can be implemented. Well, I'm leading by example. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Alex, we have about, you know, like five minutes, you know, if we don't want to over. So, so is there a question that I, I haven't asked you that you would love to answer? Yeah, uh, I haven't uh, really thought about that. Uh, let's see. Um, you know, I think, so the question would be like, what kind of a future do I envision for okay. the world? Yeah. And I envision a future where there is nature and technology exists hand in hand and technology is in service of nature. And yeah. so it's not a future where we dominate nature. There's no longer a need to dominate nature, but a future where we can be more in symbiosis with nature. And so in the movies, we have been sold a cyberpunk vision. This mm -hmm. is like Blade Runner, a very technological future. Yeah. But for example, in the, in the movie Blade Runner, you don't see nature at all. You just see buildings and flying cars, but you don't see nature. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the same in the movie uh, Fifth Element. It was also like that, a very modern future, uh, but you don't see nature, right? And so that's a cyberpunk uh, vision of the future, very science fiction kind of yeah. uh, dystopia. Uh, but there's something else called solar punk. Uh -huh. And solar punk is something where you have nature and technology together. Yeah. Uh, there's a movie called Black Panther, and the city Wakanda in that movie is like that. And so that would be a vision of uh, the future that, yeah. that I see, a positive vision uh, mm. of the future. So, uh, uh, yeah, in a more like avatar-like vision? Yes. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe more avatar-like, um, you know. But so something more in symbiosis uh, with nature. But I think it's important to have these models in mind because these are things that we work towards. Yeah. So this is really the reconciliation of the left brain and the right brain. Yeah. So we go from the, the masculine uh, yeah. impetus to go and dominate the world and dominate nature. 
to the feminine of being in symbiosis, of being, not doing, of being, being in symbiosis with nature. And so you bring both together. You have the left brain with technology and AI and stuff, but then you also have the right brain with nature and creativity and intuition and just, you know, together with nature. So I think we have to do that as ourselves individually and then as a society. I love that. And I love that I said it is a vision because like if we don't see it, we can't, yeah, we need to see it in order to bring it about to make it flourish in our awareness, like from the inside to the outside. But yeah, I'm having all sorts of mental pictures now, you know, as you're talking about symbiosis. <laughs> so yeah, thank you, Alex. Um, yeah, and I love that it's sort of we are making a like you know we are at time and we've made a full circle with like the feminine and the masculine now with the bigger picture of like what it means you know for the world at large. So I love I love that we've made that loop. So yeah, so I want to give you a you know a really big thank you for spending some time with us. Is there anything that you want to leave people with? Like you know any last words? Anything? last that you want to share to give you the last Julie, I, would, I would say thank you so much thank you for um you know this conversation yeah. it's been uh, very very nice yeah. thank you for the time that you spent here uh, thank you for the opportunity i appreciate it oh thank you i appreciate you thank you so much alex and uh and thank you everyone and i'll make sure that you know um how to connect with uh you know with alex and uh, I shall see you next week for the next conversation. Bye.